0: Good morning, everyone. Our Bible reading this morning is from the book of prophet Isaiah, chapter 64, and it's in the Church Bible, page 752. In the Church Bible, 752. Oh, that you will rend the heaven and come down, that the mountains will tremble before you as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did have some things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, No one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God beside you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways, but when we continue to sin against them, against you, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteousness acts like fitty rags. We are shivered up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sin. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hands. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look upon us we pray, for we are all your people. Your scarce cities have become a wasteland. Even Zion is a wasteland. Jerusalem a desolation. Our, our holy and glorious temple where our ancestors praise you has been burnt with fire, and all that we treasure lies in ruin. After all this, Lord, will you hold yourself back? Will you keep silent and punish us beyond measure? This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Prince. Good morning, everybody. Shall we pray? Hmm. Father, we we do thank you for your word and we know your word sometimes it has encouragements it has challenges it has comfort sometimes it has hard things to say please would you by your spirit be at work through your word by your power for your glory and for your purposes for we ask in Jesus name Amen please uh, keep it open if you've got the Bible at page 7 5.2. Five two. It'd be really helpful because we'll be um, going in there. We're in a series of uh, uh, revival and this morning we've come to one, perhaps one of the most famous descriptions of revival in the whole Bible. Verse 1 begins, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. And Isaiah, if you're familiar with it, uses a lot of figurative language. After all, let's we know God is, is not up there and, or down there, as it were. He is always um, present in one sense. He is present here now. Um, but uh, his prayer here is for the felt presence of God, the felt presence of God. Look at the description of when that happens. Verse 1, the mountains tremble. Verse 2, fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. He's praying for the felt presence of God. And perhaps the most important word in the passage is the very, very first word. Oh. Oh. This isn't just a, a daydream or some sort of theoretical lesson. Isaiah is gripped by a heart longing That's why it's, oh. Isaiah has a greater cause than his own self. He is crying out to God in prayer. This is a prayer. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Literally, pull back the curtain, rip it open, and descend. Isaiah teaches us how to pray we've got a prayer course coming up we've just heard about how to pray for revival well there here we learn to pray with boldness we learn to pray with passion with conviction with tears with longing with lament what for well for for the kingdom of god the lord taught us that we've just said it Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Yes, we are called to make prayers for everything, big or small, whatever they might be, that we get a car parking space around Blackheath. (laughs) All those little daily needs that we have. We're called to do those, absolutely. But we must not overlook the most important of prayers praying that his kingdom would come, that the heavens would open, he would descend. That's what Jesus prays for. Are we longing at St. John's for the descent of God? What could be possibly greater or more important than that for our family life together, for our witness, for our growth, for our eternal joy? Oh, Oh, oh Lord, would you come down in new and wonderful ways. As you've done of old. He's done it before. We're thankful, and we should be thankful for the everyday, steady blessings that we receive. Yes, amen to that. But these are desperate times. We need the unmistakable hand of God to awaken us. This is how he wants us to pray, to pray for revival, that he would descend on us and convict us to do business with us in perhaps some extraordinary ways. And he is able. The past, um, he has done it. We know this. We see it in the Bible. We read about it in history. One of my favourite writers is Jonathan Edwards, 1735, the great awakening in New England. He wrote about it like this. He said, In the town of Northampton, the town seemed to be full of the presence, the felt presence of God. It never was so full of love, nor so full of joy, and yet so full of distress as it was then. There were remarkable tokens of God's presence in almost every house. Our public assemblies were beautiful. The congregation was alive with God's service from time to time in tears while the word was preached, some weeping with sorrow and distress, others with joy and love. In, a, in more recent times, in 1921, in East Angular on the coast um, up uh, towards lowest and Great Yarmouth, there was a season of revival there of the presence of God was felt. One record has it that uh, a preacher, Jack Troops, stood in the marketplace in Great Yarmouth and preached. Suddenly the power of God came down and strong fishermen were thrown to the ground and cried to God for mercy. The presence of God was there for days. Many were brought under deep conviction. All these revivals, great attention was given for the word of God. They hungered to be together to hear it, to pay attention to it. It was precious to them. And there was nothing that would stop them from coming near to to hear it. They would walk miles, cycle miles. Nothing was too inconvenient for the soul that is hungry for the living words with his people. Perhaps it's worth me saying something here of it's maybe sometimes quite hard for us to hear, it's, it's what, do we, what do we communicate to, to God? Are we communicating that same kind of hunger, hunger for souls, longing hearts, seeking to be satisfied? Many of us come to church late. Some come sporadically. What are we saying to God? Now, I hasten to say I'm often late to important meetings. <laughs> you know, I'm often late to important things. I'm no better. I am no better than anyone else. But I was thinking about it like this. Imagine, imagine this somebody came to me and said, Eddie, I want to meet you at Gail's Cafe down in Blackheath Village. Because there, if you, if you meet me, I, I want to give you a thousand pounds. You know what? I, I think I'd be there. Do you know I'd actually think I'd be early just to make sure I got the time right. Why? Because I love money. We can never get enough of free cash, can we? Woohoo! Let's go! Show me the way. What God wants is to awaken our hearts for him. A heart that says, I can't get enough of God. Free God! Woohoo! let's go there! The hungry soul seeks to be satisfied in what it believes will satisfy it. And one of the evidences that God is coming down is when his people satisfy themselves in him. More than money, more than entertainment, more than success, whatever it might be. We know God comes down. We read about it in the Bible, we see it in history, and we see it in the church today. In many parts of China, in in South America, in parts of of Africa, it's spreading spreading rapidly under great opposition and and persecution. And there's nothing that that can stop God, is there? Verse 2, the nations quake, it says before you. You know, I think it's really important for us to be realistic about the state of things here um, in the UK. The membership of the the church in in England is 4.5% of the population and declining. And that's just the membership, that's not regular attendance, it's something like 2%. And nearly 40% of all churches have no young people under the age of 16 at all. Yes, there are a few there are pockets of growth, we, we can see those and, and we should give rejoice in those, but at the moment in our generation, the church is in steep decline in this country. We have drifted into irrelevance. We seem to be asleep. We seem to be satisfied with our condition, with little urgency for change, hardly aware of our condition, having lost the vision for God. We've forgotten how much we've been given. We've been given so much. We've been blessed in so many ways by God. Free God. Let's go. What are we to do? Isaiah 64 helps us. We must choose to accept the burden of prayer. The burden humbly of saying, oh... The glory of Jesus would come down in our generation again. We have to embrace the longing. We need to stop tinkering around the edges, saying it will be fine, saying, like the Titanic, it's not fine. Let's live with the longing, let's pray with it, let's be open to him. Verse 3, if you look at it, says, For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down. What, what does God's work in the past teach us? It teaches us that we cannot box God in somehow. He does things we did not expect, things we were not even looking for. He never acts out of character, of course. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yet he's never at a loss for new ways to break through and do a new thing. Think, of, think about it through the history of Israel. Think of, of uh, what happened. They were cornered in, in Egypt, weren't they, at the Red Sea. but what, what were they going to do? The sea opened. Nobody was expecting that. The whole world was lost in darkness and gloom in silence. The saviour of the world was born in a manger. Did anyone expect that? We stood condemned by our sin and rebellion without a word of defence. What happened? Our judge entered, entered and took the judgment on himself at the cross. No one was expecting that. He was dead, he buried, all hope was gone. What happened? He burst from the grave. He was alive, he ascended into heaven. The spirit of God was poured out over his people. The guilty were set free. He took a murderer as the voice to the Gentiles. No one was expecting that, were they? God is full of surprises. Someone asked me recently, what do you expect, Eddie, to happen with the sermon series on revival? And I can absolutely honestly say to you, I haven't a clue. I haven't a clue. But what I do know is that God is full of surprises. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down. And the mountains trembled. It's time for us to pray. Oh, oh, that the, that the, the heavens would uh, be rend and he would come down. Now look with me at verse four. Um, Since ancient times, it says, No one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. No one has ever asked. You see, what essentially that saying? Eh, is that no one has ever asked um, of God for something that God hasn't thought of? <laughs> you know, God isn't saying, saying "Oh, um, oh, I haven't thought of that." You know, um, that's a bit too big for me. Maybe a bit too challenging. We never can think ever bigger than God, can we? If you think about it, I mean, we know that if you you know your prayer in Ephesians three. Paul, how does he end it? He says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. I mean, I've got a pretty vivid imagination. We can't outthink God. You see, take our small thoughts. Let's measure them against God. We need to read what we read in the Bible and expect God to act and to wait. It says to wait, doesn't it? Verse 5 the beginning of verse 5. You come to help those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. Who does God come to help? Is it the best and the brightest and the luckiest? The self sufficient ones? No, he says here, he comes to help the one who is gladly goes along with what is right on the path of obedience. That's where God comes, it's where God is those who remember his ways who gladly do it, even when the world around is doing something different or even if the world is against you but verse 5 ends with this doesn't it, But, but when we continue to sin against them, you were angry, how then can we be saved but when you see, at that point it Isaiah is signaling, isn't it? Isn't he? That that that's not what we've been like. We've not been like one who is obedient and and does what is right. And so in verse 6, it it, it says, All of us have become like one. Note the likes in this verse, verse 6. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf. And like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you. Now here's the thing. You and I, we complicated people. We really are complicated people. Um, and Isaiah knows that. And what he's doing is he's helping us to understand a deeper, fuller self-awareness of what we really are like and he he gives these likes so first of all we are like one who is unclean he's thinking about um, the leper somebody who is diseased and infectious we are are like that he's saying figuratively remember we should in a sense um, be warned people As I walk around, I think I should say, you know, hi, I'm Eddie. I'm infectious with sin. You might just want to keep away. (laughs) I might mess up your life. I might say something that's not quite right. We need a health warning. Secondly, even when we do good, it says, verse 6, it tells us that they're like filthy rags. It's not just our our sin stinks, it's that our righteous things, even the things that we do that are good, are, are filthy. Because we know, don't we, that our motivations are always mixed, even when we do good things. Thirdly, that's why our strength shrivels up like a leaf. We're so easily depleted. We fade, we falter, we leak. We don't last, we're broken, and we decay. Fourthly, our sin take control of us, and like the wind, it sweeps them away. How did I get in such a mess? How did we get in such a mess? This is who we are. We're not very good at taking hold of the one who can save us. We're not good at that. No one calls on your name. No one strives to lay holds of God. That's what we're naturally like. You and I don't primarily need to be saved from our enemies. We don't need to be primarily saved from the things that go wrong around us. We need to primarily be saved from ourselves. And you think, (laughs) thank the Lord for verse 8. Yet you... Lord. Yet you, Lord. Verse 8. You, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look upon us, we pray, for we are all your people. Isaiah shows us our Deep dependence, our need of God as our Father, as, a, as our Maker. You know, we're like, we're like clay, aren't we? You are the, the potter. We need His touch to redesign us, to remodel us, to remake us, to shape us, to revive us into what He wants us to be. But so often, I, and I'm the same. I, you know, So often I just want an advisor. I just want somebody to advise me in what to do. To advise me in my own ways, in my own identity, to, so that I can be what I want to be. But you know, we don't get to decide. He's the maker. He's the potter. He's the great artist. Literally, that's what it is. God holds the power. We're literally in his hand. And in one sense, that could sound quite frightening if we didn't know God as Father because we could see God as the parter. He could take the lump of clay and he could just... and start again. But yet the Lord is our Father. Oh, praise him for that. We're his children and he loves us. He loves you. And he wants to... To remold us and he wants to make us and, and, and shape us into the people that he has created us to be. We have no idea um, of what beauty and what glorious uh, design that he actually has in store for our lives sometimes. But surely the clay doesn't really know. <laughs> and so sometimes we don't let him do it because we're frightened. You see, this this should be a tremendous encouragement to prayer. This is a tremendous encouragement to prayer. We are the clay, he is the potter. With the touch of your hand, Father, you are able to give life. You are able to bring order. You are able to bring beauty and design. You are able to reshape and mould us and make us into the very people you want us to be. We need to cry out, Lord, shape me. That should be our prayer. Shape me. Knock bits off me that you don't want me to have. Verse 10. Your sacred cities have become wasteland. Even Zion is a wasteland. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and glorious temple where our ancestors praised you has been burned with fire. And all that we treasured lies in ruins. After all this, Lord, will you hold yourself back? Will you hold yourself back? Will you keep silent and punish us beyond measure? Question. Will you hold yourself back, he says. Will the Lord restrain as he looks at all these things? Will you hold yourself back? Will you be silent or will you punish beyond measure? You know, the Jews uh, long ago returned from exile to, and this is kind of the picture that Isaiah is painting, the return to a wasteland of ruins and of rubble. The temple had been torn down. That was the place where God had come down and he had dwelled with his people. And they came back to this awful mess. It was soul-crushing. It was deeply dreadful and and awful. It was reduced to a, a rubble. And yes, it, it was it was their fault, but your name is upon us. That's what they remembered. Yet you, Lord, are our father. Remember that in the midst of that, of this. You are our father. We are your children. We appeal to you, Father. His fatherly love. He does love us. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in love. The question is, will you hold back at such a sight? Or will you be angry beyond measure? And of course the good news is that we know that he holds back. And he descends, doesn't he? He descended in the person of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world... That he gave his only son, Jesus Christ. So that you wouldn't perish, but you have eternal life. This is the great this is a great prayer for us to be praying. A prayer for our time. That God would do his will for his glory, by his gospel, through his son, Jesus Christ, by his power. That he would rend the heavens and that he would come down. Oh, that you would rend the heavens. And come down. Oh that you would. Father, we we just take a moment to be quiet before you. We thank you for what your word teaches us about how to pray for revival. we pray that you would set on our hearts that longing and desire for you, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down, that you convict us of our sin, and yet you would help us to see that you are our Father and that we are your children, that you loved us so much that you didn't spare your Son, Jesus, that you came into this world to rescue sinners because we couldn't rescue ourselves. Father, give us a passion. Give us a longing. Revive us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.